why don't you stand with me today, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew, I know that's what you've been waiting for. You're like, okay, dude, just tell me where we are in the Bible today. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 14. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. I'll give you a second. Say amen when you're there. Amen. Okay, the front is, is there. Anybody in the back? You guys there? Okay, all right. Take that. The baby said amen. Matthew chapter 25, the Bible says this, verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent, went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, what do you say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, what do you say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what's yours. But his master answered him. What do you answer him? You wicked and slothful, New King James Version, lazy, servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received that. I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has the 10 talents for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast a worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, thank you for your word, God. Thank you that, that these words of your son, they just settle for us once and for all the importance of being faithful to the master the importance of living with a sense of urgency, the importance of being diligent to do what pleases you. Father, as we uh, close these specific studies on spiritual gifts, we pray that there would not be one spiritual gift that would re remain buried, that would remain unused, but God, everything would be brought to the surface and invested Mostly, God, we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. There is a difference between those that did and those that didn't. There is a difference between those that did 
and those that didn't. I'm talking about the people who were presented with an opportunity and, you know, some, those who did, see the opportunity, they receive it, they uh, take the challenge, and they do something about it. On the other hand, there are those who have an opportunity set before them, and instead of taking the opportunity and doing something about it, they resist it, they say no. I think about a guy named Nolan Bushnell, and Nolan was approached and offered the opportunity to be a stakeholder in this very new uh, Silicon Valley startup that was known as Apple at the time. The two owners came to him and said, hey, listen, we need some startup uh, revenue, some capital, and so we'd like to encourage you to be uh, a, a part of our team. You can have one-third ownership, and it's only going to cost you $50,000. And so, you know, uh, Nolan, who had created Atari, he was the inventor of Atari, he looked at the opportunity, and he weighed it in the balance, and he determined that this little startup was not worth investing in. If he would have invested $50,000 today, that $50,000 would be worth $480 billion. I say, wow, $480 billion. He has gone down as one of the individuals who missed the, the biggest opportunities ever made available in a business setting. Um, I think biblically about Peter and the disciples. Uh, you remember the boat was full of disciples. There were 12. Jesus was walking on the water. There was only one who saw the opportunity. There was only one who was wise enough to ask the Lord if it was okay if he came out to walk on the water. There were 11 others, on the other hand, who stayed in their perceived place of safety. I think about 50 prophets that were following Elijah at a distance 50 prophets who were willing to be in proximity to the prophet, but not next to the prophet. And there was only one who was willing to stay tight with the prophet and not abandon the prophet. And there was only one, ultimately, who received the double portion. I think about Moses. You know, Moses said no to God three times before he said yes. I think a lot of times we look at the burning bush and, and, you know, we think about that moment and it's supernatural, it's miraculous. We think about all of the history that unfolded afterwards. Some of us don't realize or maybe we've forgotten that when Moses was presented with the opportunity, he resisted three times before he said yes. What if? What if on that third time God said, all right, listen, that's the third no, gave you your opportunity. I'm going to look for somebody else. Because you know, you know that God will be patient with us, but God's work does not depend on us. God will be patient with us, but God's work does not depend on us. And so while we may be determined to say no, God is willing to find someone else who will say yes. Moses said no three times, and, and I think, man, what would have happened? What would the world have looked like? I'm not saying that God wouldn't have still done what he did and raise up another redeemer because he would have, but you know, what would Moses have lost out on just so much? I want to simply encourage you today with these words. God wants the best for you. God wants the best for you. You do not have to be afraid of the will of God. 
You do not have to be afraid of God's plan for you. And I say that to us today because you know there are some of us who we're talking about spiritual gifts and we're talking about resident gifts that he's placed within our lives or gifts that he's made available to us based on circumstance and situation. And it is in fact fear that has been holding us back. And we lose sight of the reality that the truth is God has a purpose and a plan. His thoughts towards us are good. They're more than can be numbered. Experiencing God's best version of your life won't happen without you possessing all the gifts that he's given to you. Experiencing God's best version. I know some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. Are there other versions than his best version? Yeah, there are. You can be a child of God and not be walking in God's best. You can be walking as a half-hearted believer. You can be just like barely making it as a Christian and not really getting everything that God has for you out of this life. You will get everything that God has for you out of this life when you possess all the gifts that he's given to you. I know there are a lot of gifts today that you are super thankful for, okay? Like, aren't you thankful for Jesus? I mean, he is the gift, right? He is, he is the gift, and you are, are, I'm sure, all about possessing that gift and, and unpacking him and <clears throat> making sure you understand him and are walking with him. Aren't you thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit? Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit today? We've been talking about the Holy Spirit and learning to have a, a closer relationship with him, to live dependently upon him. Um, what, what are some other gifts? Aren't you thankful today for prayer? Do you know prayer is a gift? You're like, no, man, I can talk to God anytime I want to. Uh, no, you can't. Like, you can talk to God in a way where he hears and he uh, embraces and he does, all based on your trust relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been granted access to the Father through faith in the Son. You're able to pray because God, this is what I'm saying to you today, you're able to pray because God's made a pathway God has revived your spirit. I mean, we were sons and daughters of disobedience. We were children of wrath. We were running away from God. And he in love drew us back to himself with bands of loving kindness and pulled us close in communion through the goodness and grace that we experience in Jesus Christ. I know today that you're grateful for gifts. You're grateful for the Son. You're grateful for prayer. You're grateful for the Holy Spirit. You're grateful for salvation because guess what? Uh, are you saved today? Anybody in the house of God saved today? All right. You know you didn't earn that, right? You know you didn't earn that. You know it's not just because you're such a beautiful, amazing, spirit-filled, extraordinary person that looks in the mirror every day and says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. <laughs> That's not why you're saved. You're saved because on the cross, he said, it is finished. He said, it is finished. And you've trusted in the, in the sufficient sacrifice of the Son of God who made a pathway to you for you to the Father. And so, so all of that you say yes to, and I say, well, what about spiritual gifts? What about spiritual gifts? You won't get God's best version of your life unless you are using all the gifts that he has given to you. And God loves, he has loved to give you spiritual gifts. You guys know. You guys know how good it is to give gifts to people particularly people that you love. Now, I'm sure you've had to give a couple gifts to people that you didn't want to give a gift to, right? 
I mean, there's that family member, and it's Christmas, and you know everyone's got to open something, and so you go to the department store, and you really don't like this uncle, and so you pick out the ugliest, nastiest tie that you possibly could imagine, and with a smirk and snicker, you wrap it up. Because it's like, you know what, I really don't like him anyway, and so check this out. Let's see what he looks like when he opens this gift. Or you get somebody a, 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 a nasty, gnarly Christmas sweater that you know they're never going to wear. And so sometimes there might be, from a human point of view, a reluctance. Maybe sometimes there's a regret. Maybe sometimes you give a gift and it's like, well, you didn't get the response that you wanted to get, and so, so you regret having given that gift. I just want to say to you today, that's not how God gives gifts. God doesn't give to you. God does not give to you. Are you listening to me today? God does not give to you reluctantly. God doesn't give to you reluctantly. God's not half-hearted in His giving. God doesn't give to you regretfully. God doesn't have to give you a gift. The whole reason it's called a gift is because it's an expression of grace. God's not bound to give you this spiritual gift that He's placed within your life. He's given it to you because He wants to. He's given it to you because he's wa- He wants to. I want you to think about this because you know um, when, when people teach about spiritual gifts, this is rarely mentioned. God has thought very carefully about you and His purpose and His plan for your life, and He has customized and selected the cluster of spiritual gifts that He has placed in your life for you personally. You know, the Bible says that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were thinking about this redemption and salvation that they brought into our life before the world was ever made. Hannah, our daughter, just had a birthday that we celebrated, and it's just hard to imagine our little, little tiny baby girl has blossomed into this extraordinary woman that I'm so, we thank God for her. And as, you know, we were selecting gifts, we thought very carefully, we thought very carefully about what would bless her and what would encourage her. And when we were writing on the card, we poured our heart out to her because we wanted her to be lifted up. We wanted her to know how esteemed she is and how valued she is. And I'm just saying to you today, because if I don't say this, there's a tendency for you to take this whole teaching on spiritual gifts and feel burdened by it and obligated by it. And I want to set you free today because the truth is this. God has, think about a parent blessing their children on their birthday with gifts and multiply that by a million, and that is the view of God for you and how he has gifted you spiritually. God hasn't just arbitrarily thrown out gifts. Like, ah, yeah, who cares? You know, I give you what you, I don't know what you got, what'd you get? You know, that's not, that's not the heart of God. He has thought, thought through this carefully. You say, you show me a Bible verse, Pastor. Okay, I'll show you. I'll show you a Bible verse. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. We talked about this a lot. You don't have to turn there. The Bible says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for for the common good in verse 7. And then he goes to verse 11 and he says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Who has apportioned to each one individually as he wills. The Father has thought very carefully about the gifts that he has given to you because he wants you to have and to live the best version of your life. But you have to want God's best. 
You have to want God's best. I want you just to consider today a little bit about the faithful servants, right? I mean, you have this contrast here. You have one who was given five talents, one who was given two talents, and then you have one who was given one talents. The five and the two, this was what happened. They wanted to fulfill the master's will. They wanted what the master wanted. They understood what the master desired. And listen, they aligned themselves. They shaped their will to be in alignment with the will of the master, as opposed to the other one who was not concerned with the will of the master. Getting to God's best for your life means total surrender of our will will to his will. Getting to God's best for our lives means total surrender of our will to His will. It means reshaping your desires around what God wants for you, not just what you want for you. But listen, this is the great news. God takes what you want for you, and as you love Him, He reshapes what you want for you to be what He wants for you so that you want what He wants for you. Isn't that awesome? That's how good he is. Because the deal is this, you can give somebody a gift, but that doesn't mean they're going to use it. I am certain today that you have gifts that you've been given that you have never used. And then when that family member calls up and says, hey, how's that new blender working for you? And you're like, yeah, you're like, do I lie? Now you're in trouble, right? Now do I lie? And so you divert the conversation and say, man, it's been really hot in Vegas. It's like 117 degrees. You can't force someone to use a gift that has been given to them, but you know what God does? This is what he does. Through love, he changes your loves. Through love, he changes your loves. Through love, right? As the Father and the Son love you, what happens is there's this inner transformation so that you stop loving things that He doesn't love and you start loving things that He does love, right? You start walking with God and pretty soon you discover that you don't love money like you used to love money. Y'all with me today? You start walking with God and you know what? You don't love power like you used to love power. You start walking with God, and by the way, you can amen any one of these, you know what I'm saying? I'm worried for you guys now. You can start walking with God and you don't love control like you used to love control, right? I mean, because you used to be that person that had to be in everybody's business, controlling every single detail. And then you know what? You came to the cross and you recognize you can't even control your own life, yo, right? You can't even control your own life. And so you yielded to God, and you're like, God, I, I, control is an illusion. I'm, I've never been in control, and if I'm not in control of my life, I need to stop controlling other people's lives, and I just need to trust that you're in control, right? So you start to love the fact that God is the one who is in control. You stop, you stop loving and orienting your life around sex. You, you stop loving and orienting your life around your possessions, Hey, all these things make good servants, they make miserable masters. All these things make good servants, they make miserable masters. Psalm 37, 3 says this, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Watch this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
right? That, I mean, that's, that's powerful. The Bible is not saying, hey, listen, you know what? You, uh, check the box, raise the hand, go forward, take the basics class, and then just carte blanche, you know? It's like whatever you want. You get the mansion, you get the Mercedes, you get the, the nice clothes. That's not what it's saying. The Bible is saying, man, you align yourself with God. You put God at the center of your life. You get money out of the center. You get possessions out of the center. You get control out of the center. You get power out of the center. You get sex out of the center. You put Jesus in the center. And pretty soon what you discover is all of those desires that you used to have that, that ran your life, that mastered your life, that controlled your life, that ruined your life, all those things get put in their proper place as you now are orbiting around the Son of God. Like, that is the place. That's the place of true happiness. That's the place of true happiness. You guys know what this is like. I mean, before I was a Christian, I was hard on Christians, man. I criticized them all the time. I said, your book is anachronistic. Your book is old. Your book is irrelevant. Your book is outdated. I can't believe that you read that book when you get up in the morning and before you go to bed. How dumb can you be? You Christians have all committed intellectual suicide. You've checked your brain at the door. And that's not all. You all look alike. You all talk alike. You all smell alike. You, you, you all like, I mean, I just, you know, it's, you're weird. Y'all, you're all weird. And not only that, the music you listen to, I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then, you know what happened? I got saved. And I'm like, I love the book. I love the book. I love the book. I want to read it in the morning. I want to read it in the afternoon. I want to memorize it. I want to read it before I go to bed. I want to go to Bible studies. I'm not going to the bar. I'm not drinking with the boys. I want to like listen to the word of God and let it wash over my soul. And you know, you Christians, like, like you, aren't, you aren't all that bad. You, you, you don't all talk alike. You don't all look alike. You know, there's a lot more diversity than I ever even realized. And in fact, I like hanging around you guys now. You know, and I'm okay being called weird because if this is weird, I'm good with that. And, you're, and the music is amazing. The music is life-changing. The music is penetrating. The music is uplifting. You know, worship today. I know you guys felt the moving of God's Holy Spirit during the time of worship because as we collectively are praising Him, the presence of God is among us. All of our, no one came to me and said, hey, Derek, here's the, here's the rules. Here's, you got to like the book. You've got to like the people. No one did that. God changed me from the inside out. And so when Paul says this, when Paul says desire spiritual gifts, he is saying naturally as a Christian, naturally as someone who's put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, I'm not saying something to you that, should, that doesn't connect with you because you've been born again and your appetites have changed. Your desires have changed. You want what God wants. This is not a have to. This is a get to. This is not a force to. This is a want to. And when Paul says, he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, he knows he is connecting with people who are saying, yes, I want that for my life. I want that for my life. Now listen, if in fact you're a Christian and you don't want that for your life, you have to spend a minute evaluating why not. You have to ask, God, what is getting in the way? 
God, what is the roadblock? What is the obstruction? What affection have I placed my life on that's distracting me from your version of my best life? In this moment, I'm living right now. And as God helps you to pull that obstruction out of the way and you align yourself with him and he shows you how to step forward and use your spiritual gift, you need to take the step. You've got to do something about it. What you notice about these faithful servants is they did the work. They did the work. And, and in fact, those are the words that are used. They're the ones who put the effort into it. They're the ones who did something about it. The lazy servant didn't do anything about it. The lazy servant buried the talent. He was unwilling to put the effort in. You know, you, this is not rocket science. You raise your children like we've raised our children, and anything they've wanted, we've said to them, if you want it, you're going to have to put the effort into it. If you want it, you're going to have to work for it. Hannah loved horses, and so she had a, a horse named Peaches. And, and it's a lot of work to learn how to ride a horse. And in all of the work, you know what? You fall off the horse, and you've got to get back on. And so we would reinforce her to her all the time. You've got to put the work in. Alec, you, gotta, you love basketball. You've got to put the work into basketball to be a good player. Levi played football. You've got to put the work in. You want to be strong academically. Most importantly, you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? It doesn't happen by laying your head on your Bible when you go to sleep at night. You've got to put the effort into it. You've got to put the work in. You've got to take the step. I want to just, we're wrapping up this series on spiritual gifts. And so remember these three things. First of all, you need to seek God. You need to be praying, God, reveal to me, show me, help me to understand how you have graciously, lovingly gifted me. And then you need to step out. You need to take a step of faith. You've got to put, put the work in. You've got to do something about it. And as you do something about it, you've got to stay the course because, because the adversity, I'll talk about that in just a minute, the adversity is going to come. I believe in this principle that God will guide you as you're moving forward with him. I believe in this principle. God will guide you as you move forward. Someone said this once about the use of spiritual gifts and discovering them. You can't steer a parked car. Right? You sit in your car and it's in the parking lot. You can turn the wheel as much as you want to, but it's irrelevant. It's really difficult. It's bad for the vehicle because the car's got to be moving for it to be steered. And it's, it's true with spiritual gifts. You have to take the step of faith. And as you take the step of faith, you've got to trust that God is going to guide you because some of you, like this has landed on your heart. You know, we've gone through the, this series, this landed on your heart. You're like, yeah, God, I know you have spoken to me or there's some illumination. I have an idea, but what if I'm wrong? God, what if I take a step of faith? And, and you know, the truth is I haven't been hearing your voice. I've been hearing my voice. What happens if I take a step of faith and, and God, I fall flat on my face and I say, so what? So what if that happens? Don't you think that God loves you enough in the sincere process of trusting him and stepping out in faith that, that, that he'll be faithful, that he'll be with you, that if you do take the wrong course as you're walking forward in faith, the Father knowing your heart for him will guide you and direct you to the place where you need to be. 
Paul said this to Timothy. He said, stir up the gift that is in you. In other words, Timothy, take the step of faith. Do what you're responsible to do. Don't pray. Listen, don't pray, God, stir up the gift within me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you stir up the gift that is in you. I want to encourage you today that the place of discovery is among God's people. The place of discovery is among God's people. You don't discover your gifts when you're disconnected from God's people. That's just the way that it is. Some of us are hanging on the fringe. We're not really connected to anybody in the church, and we're wondering what our gifts are. Well, you know what? You, you have made it nearly impossible for yourself to discover your spiritual gift because God uses the community of his people to reveal to you how he's gifted you. Sometimes it's a leader. You know, as you're locked into the church, as you're building relationships, sometimes a leader, our leaders are trained to observe the congregation and to recognize how people are gifted, what their proclivities, their spiritual proclivities may be. And so sometimes it might be a pastor who comes along and says, hey man, I've just you know, I've just been watching your life, and I, I think that you may be gifted in this way. Have you thought about taking this step of faith? It might be an elder. Uh, it might be a life group leader. It might be uh, some other ministry leader, someone who's paying attention, saying, hey, you know what, sister, I don't know if you've recognized this, but we've recognized this in you, and we want to encourage you to take a step of faith. That happens in leadership. Sometimes it's not the leadership. Sometimes it's other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. You're hanging out in your life group. You're going through the curriculum that we've written, and you've gotten to the part where it says, hey, encourage each other in the gifts that you see in one another's lives because sometimes it's easier for other people to see our gifts than it is for us to see them. Sometimes it's easier for other people to see our gifts than it is for us to see them. When I think about this principle, I'm always reminded of Acts chapter 2. And you remember on the day of Pentecost, there was the Spirit fell upon the people of God. There was the sound as of a rushing mighty wind. And then there were divided tongues of fire that sat over each of the disciples. Now, you couldn't see the divided tongues of fire sitting over your own head, but you could see the divided tongues of fire sitting over someone else's head. And sometimes that's what we need. We need that confirmation. We need someone coming alongside of us and saying, hey, I don't know if you've recognized this, but I see God doing a great work in your life in this regard. And that's throughout the book of Acts. I think about Barnabas. You remember he's called the son of encouragement. There was the situation in the church of Syrian Antioch, there were Jewish believers, followers of Christ, there were Gentile believers, followers of Christ, and Barnabas recognized they needed somebody in leadership who could bridge that gap and minister to both those people. And so God stirred his heart to go get Saul of Tarsus, pretty soon to be known as Paul the Apostle. Barnabas goes up and says, hey, listen, you know, I think God has customized you, he's custom fit you for this opportunity. And so Paul comes down and ministers for a year and a half. After that time is up, Acts chapter 13, the people of God, the leaders of the church are gathered together as they're ministering to the Lord. 
The Spirit through a prophet says, separate to me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. And so within the context of the people of God, there's this leading and directing and guiding. There are people coming alongside individuals like Saul and saying, God has this thing for you. And pretty soon what you discover in the book of Acts is it goes from Barnabas and Saul in order to Paul and Barnabas. So Barnabas moves from the leader to the follower because he was humble enough to do that. I want to encourage you to remember that the place of discovering your spiritual gift is the local church. In addition to that, as you do step out in faith, remember that meaning can't be measured. As you do choose to step out in faith, remember meaning can't be measured. I'm saying this to you because you know how we are. We're all about results. We, we, we step out in faith, and we're looking for results to confirm that this was the right step. And don't get me wrong. Like, if you have the gift of leadership, you should see people following. If you have the gift of giving, resources should be generously distributed. If you have the gift of teaching, people should be engaged, learning, and growing in likeness. But God measures your success by your faithfulness. God measures your success by your faithfulness. God measures your success by your faithfulness. Right? We want to quantify. God wants to qualify. We want quantity. God wants quality. We want to connect meaning to metrics. God says, did you do what I told you to do? Did you do what I told you to do? And did you do it the way I want it to be done? I'm just saying to you today, oftentimes, you know, we, we fall into the trap, like this, this cultural trap. It doesn't matter where you go. This is just human nature. We want to put a number to everything. And so we value, we have our sense of value based on the numerics. This parable teaches something different. You know, God gives five to one. That that person invests, gets five more, so there's ten. God gives two to another. That person invests, gets two more, so they have a total of four. Jesus says the same thing to both of them. Well done, good and faithful servant right? He didn't say, hey, listen, dude, you got 10, and this bozo over here only got four total, and then you have that ultra loser who only brought me one back. That's not what he says. He doesn't determine the the success based on whether it was 10, whether it was four, or whether even the one who invested the one would have gotten one more, so they had two, He doesn't make the evaluation with quantity. He makes it with quality. Were you faithful? Were you faithful? Did you invest in, did you take what I invested in you and invest it in the way that I wanted you to? We have to be careful because, you know, sometimes I think in our world, it's like you get two and someone gets five and you're like, dude, why did that get get five? Why did he get five? And you know what? If I got five, this is how I would have used it. And I can't believe that that, that guy who got the fiver, the, the five guys and fry guy, 
I can't believe that he invested it like that. Or some of us, you know, you, 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 maybe you got one, and one is the loneliest number, right? You got one, and you're thinking, man, one got five, and one got two, and I only got one. And how come, how come I only got one, and I didn't get more than one? And God says, don't focus on the five. Don't focus on the two. Don't focus on what she got. Don't focus on what he got. Don't stop focusing on how you think other people have been blessed and how they might not be using their blessings faithfully and start focusing on being faithful with what I've given to you. What have I given to you? What have I given to you? You guys, because there's this, there's this thing within our, our, our hearts where it's easy for us to judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions, right? And we, we think, well, you know what? Uh, I put some thought into this, and doesn't that count? And God says, no, what you do with it, what you do with it, are you being faithful with what God has given to you? Remember, when you step out in faith, the outcome belongs to God. When you step out in faith, the outcome belongs to God. And as you step out in faith, the joy of the Lord is going to follow you. The joy of the Lord is going to follow you. Now, I'm not going to lie to you today, and I think it would be easy for me to say, hey, listen, man, stir up that spiritual gift and step out in faith, and everything's going to be great. It'll never be hard. You know, it's going to be awesome. You'll never hit a roadblock. You'll never get a criticism. You know, you'll never get conflict or, or difficulty in the church. You'll never have persecution from the outside, but none of that's true. You are going to have ard aardvarks, Turkey. You are going to have aardvarks. You are going to have adversity. You are going to have adversity. You are going to hit difficult times. It is going to be challenging. Even in the blessing that God gives to you, don't get discouraged when those times come. And you know the adversary, he is happy if you just want to be a lukewarm Christian. He's happy if you just live your life cruising your couch. He's happy if you're all consumed in the Netflix, Hulu, Xbox, PlayStation world. He's happy if you've made an idol out of work and forgotten that your work is a platform for the gospel and you're supposed to be living missionally out in the world. The devil is happy to keep you nice and comfortable in the lukewarm spot, but the second you say, I'm, I'm getting off the couch, I'm getting out of the cycle. I'm getting out of the usual. I'm getting out of the same old. I'm getting out of being distracted by the things of this world, and I'm going to invest in the things of God. Watch out. Watch out. Because now you've become an adversary to the adversary. Now you're actually a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Now you're actually a useful tool in the hand of God. And he is going to the adversary. And don't get me wrong today. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. All right? I'm not saying, I'm not saying that the devil's power is greater than God's. But I am saying to you today that he is going to try to discourage you as quickly as he can to throw you off track. He will try to discourage you as quickly as you can. Let me give you a couple for instances. You know, you're like stirred. You're stirred, and so you're on the app, and you're like, I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to serve God, and I don't know what my gift is, but God will show me. And so, you know, you hit up the connect page, and you fill out the information, the form, and you hit all the little blocks on where you can serve, and then you hit submit, and you wait. 
You wait a week, you wait two weeks, three weeks goes by, five weeks go, goes by, and you're like, what the heck? You know what? I wanted to serve. I want, pastor, pastor encouraged me, you know, to, to sign up and to get involved, and I wanted to serve, but I never heard back from anybody. I never heard back. And so a year later, you know, you, you find me, you come to me and you say, hey, listen, pastor, I just want to tell you, I tried, you know, I mean, I wanted to serve, I heard your message, I, I took a step and I signed out the form and no one got back to me. And I'm like, first of all, sorry, right? First of all, sorry, we, we need to fix the things that are broken, there's no doubt about that. And then I say, really? Really? You let something as small as that get in the way of what God's will for your life was? Like you didn't, you didn't press through you didn't press through even that. You didn't go to the connect desk. You didn't talk to an elder. You didn't talk to your life group leader. You didn't come to me after the service as I'm standing there every Sunday in the lobby and say, hey, listen, I don't know what the system is. I don't know what's going on with the system. It must be broken. But, but listen, I want to serve God. And nothing is going to stop me from serving God. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what it is. It might be something as simple as that. It might be someone being critical. There you step out in faith and some other Christian comes along and, and critici criticizes you or makes fun of you or corrects you. And in those moments, listen, you know what? You know what is revealed is our heart, our heart. Are we going to be humble? Are we going to learn? Are we going to trust God? Are we going to persist? God blesses persistence, brothers and sisters. God blesses persistence, and when you're persistence, the, when you're persistence, when you're persistent, the joy will come. Check this out. I'm wrapping up. Matthew chapter 25 says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Check this out. Enter into the joy of your master. I want you to note when the joy comes. The joy comes after the work has been done. The joy comes after the work has been done. When you use your spiritual gifts, you will experience joy here and now. There will be an, an extraordinary sense of satisfaction and joy that God places in your life as you invest in things that last forever, as you prioritize as you step out in faith and you see people saved, you see brothers and sisters strengthened, you know when you start going down that road, I will tell you, like it can become addicting. It's like this is so, I can't believe I didn't step out in faith and serve sooner. Like I have people say that to me, pastor, you know what? I, I wasted so much time of my life. If I knew how awesome this was, I would have served sooner. Because when you see God manifest the power of his spirit through your life, it makes the ordinary things of life that much more mundane. You get so excited. You get so excited. Now the problem that you have is saying no because you want to say yes all of the time. But it's not just about the joy in this life. It's that you are storing up joy eternally. When you are investing in things that please the heart of the Father, there is this investment like a spiritual 401k, a 403b, Roth IRA. You've got stock funds. You've got dividends that are going to come in. Like you are amassing for yourself this huge inheritance of joy. 
to hear Jesus say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, because you know what? One day, we are all going to stand before him. We are all going to stand before him. Christians will stand before the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the great white throne of judgment. Our salvation is settled, but at the Bema seat of Christ, we will receive rewards for how we've invested by faith in eternal things in this lifetime. And when you stand before him, there's no do-overs. There's no do-overs. They're, they're, at that point, it's all what could have been, right? And I'm not trying to shape heaven in my own terms, but I'm just encouraging you guys, don't live your life in a way where there will be regret on that day. Don't live your life in a way where there will be regret on that day. God has a best version of your life. Are you living his best version right now? Mm-hmm.